0: Hi, I'm Ryan North.
1: I'm Lori Fungi.
0: And I'm Sean Wilson. You're listening to Foster Family Matters, a production of CK Family Services. People united through God to enhance the physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being of at-risk children and families. So today we're talking about self-regulation, and I think it's important that we start with a definition. When we talk about self-regulation, in the context of foster parenting, what are we talking about exactly?
1: Excellent question, Sean. Self-regulation um, can best be, be defined. I liked Karen Purvis's definition when she said it's the body's ability to calm itself by itself. So this can look like anything from taking deep breaths before walking into a big meeting at your office, um, listening to music to calm your, your mind, uh, meditation, yoga, Uh, Journaling, going for a walk, all these are different ways that both as adults and children have the capacity to calm their body. Um, Some of it when it's done naturally, and we'll talk about how that occurs through the stages of regulation, but when it's done naturally, we have the capacity to be very intrinsic on how we regulate. Um, For me, public speaking has always caused my nerves to get jumbled. And I find myself even at almost 40 walking into a training room before anybody gets there and just taking a deep breath. And I notice when I do that, my body becomes calm, my mind becomes clear, and I feel more equipped to be able to present whatever it is that I'm going to present.
2: I think, you know, talking about Self-regulation, I think there are a lot of assumptions and expectations around a child's ability to self-regulate that parents have. Um, They should be able to do that, right? right? We hear that a lot from people. Well, why do I need to do that for them or show them how to do that? They should be able to do that. But I think um, one of my favorite phrases um, in development, because it makes you sound smart if you can say it correctly, uh, is – and only say that because it took me a long time to actually learn how to say it correctly. But this idea that a recovery of function recapitulates development of function, meaning that if we want to develop a skill, we have to go back to the beginning. You can't just – so think of somebody who maybe had a stroke. Like my grandfather had a stroke and then he had to go to physical therapy at 75 to learn how to walk again. It wasn't just he was released from the hospital and he could walk. He had to redevelop that function. He had to go back to to – to physical therapy and have somebody teach him how to walk again and so if we look at our, our kids ability to self-regulate or more to the point their inability to self-regulate we can't just assume oh he's 14 he should know how to do that you might have to treat that 14 year old like a four-month-old and do it for them you do it for them then you show them how to do it and then they are able to do it themselves you have to go back to the beginning you can't just decide we're moving forward today because that just doesn't work
1: and t- Excellent point, Ryan. What Ryan was talking about is actually the three stages of regulation. And so the doing it for him, when we do this, it looks as though um, during the times of infancy, when we have our our babies in our arms and we're the ones as the parents deciding when they're going to take a nap, when they're going to go to sleep, how we calm them, whether it's through bouncing or rocking them or walking with them or swaying, when they eat, when they get their diaper changed. We are in complete control because that child, that baby needs us to be in control. And when we do that, we are actually regulating the child for him or herself. Um, this is just very intrinsic in terms of parenting for the most part. And there are parents out there that struggle with calming their baby and soothing their baby in a nurturing way. And more than likely, it's because no, that was never done for them. But for the neurotypical child, when this is done, um In a patterned way and consistently, by the time that child comes into toddlerhood, we find ourselves now as co-regulators. We co-regulate them. This is the toddler that comes in running outside and with the the sweaty hair and the pink cheeks and um, shortness of breath. And we say, hey, buddy, sit down for a few minutes, have have a glass of water, and we just need to calm your body. Um, This is the kiddos that at toddlerhood, not only is it completely asinine, but when first responders get into a, a car and find a child left there, you never find the child naked. And I think that's really interesting because as an adult, I would do anything I could to cool off or to rescue myself. And what we know is that that toddler doesn't even have the capacity to regulate his own body temperature. And so if they can't even regulate their own body temperature, which is a physiological um action, it makes it really curious to me of why Why do we expect them to be able to regulate their emotions, which just feel really complex to me. And so if we regulate that child in a co-regulation manner, that child gets to the stage of seven, eight, nine years old, and they have the capacity to self-regulate. They can regulate themselves because it's done, been done for them consistently, and then it's been done with them on a routine pattern basis. This is the example of a kiddo. You feed the kiddo the bottle. Then the child comes into the kitchen in toddlerhood and says, Mommy, I'm thirsty. So you get the drink of water for him. And then by the time he's 10, 9, 10 11, 12 years old, he's going to the kitchen and grabbing the cup himself. And so I think in the most simplest ways, that's what, that's what regulation looks like.
2: So Karen Purvis used to say, um, unless you taught your child how to do it, assume they don't know how.
1: Excellent. I love that quote.
2: Yeah. And, and it's a hard quote because um, I don't want to necessarily take care of a 14-year-old or a 10-year-old's needs in that way. But if I can remember that they need somebody to take care of their needs that way, I mean, we could, I don't know, we could spend the next hour just stuck right here, Mm -hmm. right? Because when, when the baby expresses a need and that needs not met in a neglectful environment, that sense, all of that regular stages of regulation, um, off in a direction we don't want them to go because at, as a tiny child, they're learning that, that they're learning that, that there's no outside regulation, right? Right. There's no outside regulation. Co-regulation is not possible. And then self-regulation certainly not possible. Um, you know, um, Jude Cassidy, in, in her attachment research, said one of the hallmarks of secure attachment or the indicators of a healthy relationship, as non-clinical people might say that, um, is this healthy sense of dependence and independence. And, and they found that unless you are first pro- uh, completely dependent on a competent caregiver, you cannot actually be an independent person. So that, that uh, ability to be independent is completely driven by the fact that you were once totally dependent and so if you miss the other regulated and co-regulated stages this idea that you're one day going to be a healthy independent uh, functioning member of society that that loves the lord and raises his kids well which is by the way the most frequent version of an answer we get from parents of, what do you want for your children well if that's really what they want for their children then the question is what are you willing to do and the answer has to be we have to go all the way back to the beginning and walk our kids through those stages of regulation um because self-regulation is the goal. That's right. Right? So that, that I can trust my 16-year-old who now, Lord have mercy, has a driver's license when he is out of the I'll house. pray for you. Uh, <laughs> and, and the citizens of Dallas-Fort Worth. No, actually, to be fair, he's actually a pretty good driver, more, better than I was expecting him to be. But, um, you know, I have to trust that he can manage himself when he's out there. Otherwise, we've got real problems. And, and so for us to turn uh, a 16-year-old... Loose in a weapon on the streets of Dallas, Fort Worth, because that's what a car is. Um, We have to trust that he has some ability to regulate himself. And so we've had to spend the last 14 years of his life helping him get to that place.
1: You just made me think of, of a number of points that I would love to address. And I think the first one is our roadblock is what you were talking about, Ryan, the chronological age. And we look at our kiddos and we're but yep. you're 10, but you're 15, but you're, you yes. you should know this. And y- yes. we're lying to ourselves because the, the, the evidence is, and what we hope you gain from this is the evidence is these three stages are foundational upon one another. So I can't get from a place of other regulation to self-regulation unless other regulation has, number one, been done well yes. enough to allow space for co-regulation to occur so that we can progress to self-regulation. And so without um, without those stair steps, which many of our kiddos didn't have based on how they were raised or their in utero experience, they didn't have that. So we've got to go back and fill in those pieces that you were talking about. It's like a jigsaw puzzle, and you have the whole frame done, but you still see pieces are missing. You're so close to that, that – that, puzzle being done and yet there's still some things that we need to go back and find those pieces for that we need to fill in and so if you see I think what we really hope that you glean from this is that if you have that 14 year old or that 10 year old and you're seeing that they don't have the capacity to self regulate it's not that they that they won't it's never that they won't it's that they can't Yes. and so that we have to go back and we tell ourselves okay well he or she is showing me that he needs me to regulate with him or maybe regulate for him and it's really important that we take the time to do that so that we can get them developmentally on target, so to speak.
2: Yes, I saw something last week that said when your child's struggling, it's, um, you shouldn't join them in the chaos. You need to invite them into your Absolutely. calm, which I thought was so so good. Because, um, and I know we spoke about this before you hit the record button, Sean, so I may be stealing one of your questions here, but it, but it seems like a real great place to talk about that. Um, because if we ourselves as adults cannot stay in charge of our emotions, i.e. self-regulate, um, then, then we really are heading for chaos in our homes.
1: That's right. And with, with regulation, it's contagious. Both the good and the bad. Like right? it. Yes. So if I'm self-regulated, I can be present enough to help my child get to this place of self-regulation. If I'm dysregulated, I'm going to send that or share that with my child and heighten his or her own dysregulation.
0: So so with that in mind, what, what if you're a parent who's listening to this podcast today and you're thinking to yourself, man, you know, whether you're w- real willing to admit it openly or not, I, I don't do such a great job of self-regulation and maybe I missed out on those things that you're mm. talking about. Maybe, maybe I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm concerned for my 14 year old, but I'm also concerned because you're telling me that I have to know how to self-regulate in order to teach them how to self-regulate. What, what do I do? What are that parent who is maybe sitting there going, well, heck I'm, I'm all done. I don't have this.
1: Right. There's great resources out there. Dan Siegel um, is doing wonderful work with mindfulness. And so I would, I'd say start there. That's a great footing stone of, of what does it look like to be mindful myself as an adult? What do I need? What tools do I need to add to my tool bag? And we're never at a place of, well, wonderful. I don't have that. Okay, I'm done. It's Okay, I may not have that, but how do I get that? And continuing searching for those tools to be put into your bag, what do they look like? Is it that you need to be more intentional about journaling? Is it that you need to know when you're, when you're, where your place is and, oh, it's time for me to get up and take a walk just because I've got to get away from this situation or from these thoughts that I'm having? On my way here, ironically enough, I found myself in an hour-long traffic jam. And for anybody that knows me, there's very few things in this world that really fire me up Being in traffic and being stuck is definitely one of them. And so even as almost a 40-year-old sitting in my car, um, not 100% regulated, to be honest. Uh, there were some things coming out of my mouth and in my mind that I can't ever take back, but that's okay. I was alone in my car. Uh, but I found myself going, <laughs> okay, I just need to breathe. I need to breathe. And I would listen. I listened to some music. Um, and then I was able to problem solve. Once I kind of talked myself or got myself off that emotional ledge, I could figure out how to solve whatever it is that I needed to solve. And so I found an exit ramp to be able to to get out of it but we do this as adults um and some of us do it really well and some of us need to be mindful and intentional of how to how to do it better than maybe we've done it in the past especially when we have little ones in our home that can't do it at all
2: yeah so so i I like the word mindful which somebody once asked me this we were at a conference and, and she said like 10 different people have used the word mindful, but not a single one of them has explained what it is. And like, it just means to pay attention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So just pay attention to what you're doing. And, and, and we do, we do all of us to some degree, uh, have some sort of, um, self-regulation skills or coping mechanisms or, and this is one of my favorite, um, air quote magic tricks to do. So we were teaching on Friday and it was back to back three hour classes and most people were in both. So about halfway, so this is, you know, four and a half hours into the teaching and we were talking about um, the ch- a child's ability to regulate themselves. And I said, well, we, we all have them. What I know right now is that uh, some of you are fidgeting with your telephones, some of you are doodling, some of you are tapping your fingers, some of you are rolling, some of you have done the crossover leg and bouncing your leg, some of you have taken your shoes off, some of you are standing. Um, we all have these things that allow us to cope in the, in the moment. Um, but that's because along the way people helped us to cope in the moment, right? And so uh, back to your question, Sean, is like how can an adult do this? And I think that, you know, paying attention to your breathing, um, just really sort of catching yourself um, before the train gets off the track. That's something, um, you know, uh, in our home, um, my wife and I have have made an agreement that if one of us is heading to a place where we're dysregulated, the other one gets to say something about that in a kind way. Or we've had code words before. Uh, I think you need to go buy a pineapple. A pineapple, <laughs> which which you Red, makes alert, right red well. alert!
0: Red um, alert! I don't want a pineapple.
2: <laughs> it used to be Beetlejuice. We've had multiple versions of this over the over the time, and but even in that, right? I'm being other regulated, right? Um, right, which is which is why. Um, which is why um, I just have all kinds of empathy for single parents because we've done events with single parents over the years and you don't have that person who, who's constantly able to tell you to go buy a pineapple and that's why having that support mechanism um, is, is so important because even if we can move to the place of, of other regulated and know how to regulate ourselves, we're always, we always need those other two. I always need people around me who can help me get through this. That's why you know having that village of support around you is so so important, and having people who um, you have given permission to speak honestly into your life. That's hard because when I'm not acting right, I certainly don't want to hear it from anybody. That's the last time I want to hear it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, don't say oh, I like that. <laughs> "uh huh." So, um, but I think that you know it's just really important to pay attention to. To your breathing, to to your heart rate, to to your um, when your body gives you clues that the tension in your chest. Yes. All those things.
1: Because those are the physiological signs. That's our body communicating to us. I call it brain-body integration. And one of my goals as a clinician is to help my kiddos, my clients, to understand what their brain is telling their body and what their body is telling their brain. And when I say clients, that may be the kiddos, but it may be the families as well. And so one of the questions is Is when, Johnny, when Johnny's starting to act up, where are you? What is your body telling your brain as the parent, as the adult? And what is your brain telling your body? Do you feel the rapid heart rate? Do you feel your blood pressure go up? Are you, are you experiencing really physical signs of dysregulation so that you can catch it soon enough? And what I love about this is there's work that came out with Dr. Bruce Perry, um, we'll give you some book titles too at some point in this podcast so that you can check his, check out his work on your own. Cause it's brilliant. Mm um but he was talking about how regulation actually incurs in utero and so and and it and the foundation of that regulation is a heartbeat and it's 80 beats per minute and a neurotypical child, that child, that fetus, that, that that baby in utero experiences regulation, patterned rhythm consistency from the mother's heart rate when she's in a calm, peaceful state, in a relaxed state. Majority of that pregnancy, that heart rate's at 80 beats per minute. Mm-hmm. And so I want us to be really mindful about the parents. Many of us go, well, well, I fostered my kiddo from the day I got him from the hospital, or I adopted several months after he was born. We have been his number one caregiver throughout this whole entire time. Why are we seeing the behaviors in this dysregulation? And to go back and educate, I'm very curious of what that in utero experience looked like. Did that mom have a pattern, repetitive, rhythmic heartbeat of 80 beats per minute throughout the duration? And the answer more times is no, because of the stresses that she's experiencing because of the spike of cortisol wondering where we're going to live if daddy's going to be okay about this baby if i have a job or a home or food to provide all the worries that that mom experiences are being fed to that child and from the get-go that child is struggling with regulation
2: so um let me let me tell you how much laurie fungi and i um talk about this because if we end up in conversation here at the office Half of the time it turns to Bruce Perry, who he's, he's one of my favorites. So um, that's, that's in a book called Born for Love that Laurie was talking about. So I said, Hey, check. She was in my office a couple of weeks ago and I said, Hey, come here and show you something. And she said, What? I said, I made this playlist on Spotify and she said, Of songs that are 80 beats per minute. <laughs> and I was like, Yes. Know, how do you do that? Wow. And she said, Because I, I knew you'd do it. So I actually Googled songs that are 80 beats per minute and then just um, read through the list and then just put my favorite one, ones in it because there is that, that sense of, of of calm that comes around. It's, it's also a, a sense of like you connect at 80 beats per minute, like like Army marching cadence is 80 beats per minute.
1: What are another – because there are That's some cool accidental. songs too. What are some other like ones like Like
2: Kashmir by Led Zeppelin yeah. 80 beats per minute, right? So um, it's not like you're going to have to listen to music you don't like. It's, it's, it's all across the board. But it is interesting how we just really connect and calm at – um, at eighty beats per minute.
1: And if if any of you are intrigued by this um, this conversation, there's a great YouTube video. It's called the Still Face Experiment. And there's two versions. There's one versions with infants and their mothers, and then there's another one with uh, infants and their fathers. And I love the fathers because guys out there, I'm sorry, I think more times than not you get the bad rap. You don't get the attention that is due. Thank as you, I'm Laurie. as I'm standing in front of two of my favorite men. But we yes. now have that
2: on. Right, that's memorialized. I don't know what you're talking about. I
0: consistently demand the attention.
1: (laughs) 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 And so it really puts these theories that we're talking about in the flesh. And you see this come out, you see this co regulation, this self regulation, and you see dysregulation um, in an intentional clinical way so that you can really experience what it looks like and when it's happening dysregulation doesn't have to be the the DEFCON 1, kiddo on the floor, all out, fallout, kicking, screaming, biting. It could be the kiddo that's sitting next to you and he starts to wiggle and his head starts to go down or he's now having a hard time looking you in the eyes or his hands start to fidget. It can be really, really subtle. And I think it's it's so important that we are, like we talked about last time, attuned and intuned enough to see those signs so that we can help that kiddo get back to a place of regulation.
0: And Lori, that was a fantastic point. And I really want uh, the two of you guys to try to put a bow on this as we're coming near the end of our time. But uh, just before we do something that you said sparked uh, a thought in my head. And and that is that I think sometimes folks come to view dysregulation as a synonymous term with misbehavior. And we refer to you know a child who's misbehaving. It'll they clearly dysregulated and, and um, you know they they likely are right. But but there's there's so many facets to what self regulation is that uh, dysregulation also uh, comes into play with a child that that maybe is not displaying any outward signs or obvious outward signs uh, of their uh, their state of dysregulation. But um, if you could uh, summarize for me, and maybe just one, two, three points, something like that, why, why are we talking about self-regulation? I mean, I get the sense that this is foundational to a lot of things that we do, uh, not just in, in caring for kids in foster care, but in, in self-care, in caring for our own biological children, and in, in, in interacting with the public, uh, coworkers, so on and so forth. Why is it important? Why is it so important Uh, if, if, if you need to work on it, one or two real quick tips for, for how we can work on it ourselves and, uh, maybe provide folks hope for, uh, uh, for how they can go forward.
1: Sure. I'll take the first two, and you can hammer home the second, the third
2: one. Provide hope moving forward.
1: <laughs> um, what I love about this is that it's universal. And mm. so it's so important is because of the fact that it's universal. This isn't just about the kiddos. This is more importantly, I think, even about us. And so if this is something like we've talked about that that doesn't occur naturally for you, number one, being feeling safe and giving yourself the permission and freedom to say, you know what, I, I may not do this as well as I I I want to. And if that's the case, looking into things like self-care, looking into mindfulness, what is it that that works for you? Some people cannot stand yoga, and that's fine, but there's others that do, and that can be a really great source of meditation for them and recentering and just clearing their mind. Um, Science shows that our blood pressure goes down, our heart rate goes down when we pray, and I love that, and I know where I feel a sense of solace and peace after I've, I've lifted it up to the Lord in, in prayer. And so maybe it's praying, maybe it's journaling for you, whatever that looks like. Figuring it out, finding that out, and then giving it a try. And if, it does, if it's that it didn't work that first time, being willing to commit to keep trying. There's plenty of lists of how to be mindful out on the Internet. I strongly encourage you to, to take a look into them.
2: Here's the thing about um, about why self regulation is important, Sean, um, because it's it's the evidence that it's working. Right, it's the evidence that we're connecting in meaningful relationship, and that the children are healing because it it, it that self regulation is born out of the meaningful relationship. It's born out of the fact that they are healing. It's born out of the fact that they feel better about themselves that the belief systems are, have changed. Right, so um, to, to go along with your point that it's not always as it seems. Those of you who have ever parented a child know that lying is a big player. Okay, Uh, those of you who have ever been an adult know that. I mean, it's just it's so complicated. And when and we can do twelve episodes on lying, I imagine. But but here's the thing: Um, my son's ability to now take responsibility for his actions instead of deflect and deny, as he did for a lot of his childhood, to me is a self-regulation issue. Right? He can now process and he can handle that environment and he can himself take ownership where his parents had to ha- have him take ownership previously, right? And so um, self-regulation is important to me because it really um, it means that you're able to actually operate in an environment that you're living in without any assistance, which is what I need for my children because one day, starting pretty soon here, they're going to be saying, adios, mama and daddy. Um, we're going somewhere else. And and at that point, my anxiety about that move is lessened by the fact that I know that, that my children are able to self-regulate. And so um, back to why why is it important, um, I'll just reiterate that because it is the evidence that, that relationships, that the kids are growing in relationships and that healing is happening.
1: And I love going back to what you were talking about, Sean, on, on the flip side – it can be silent, and we can see a kiddo dysregulated with really subtle signs of, of the fidgety body. And on the flip side of that, we can see the really big behaviors. And when I look at those, when I look at stealing, lying, like Ryan was talking about, hoarding food. Um, being really physically aggressive, when I look at that as a, as a form of dysregulation rather than what we call maladaptive, which I just can't stand that term, but challenging behaviors, it takes the pressure off of me to do something to change that behavior. Now I have a plan of how do I help this child gain regulation so that they don't feel the need to steal, to feel calm. Science shows us that kiddos that that are hypo aroused, that kind of tend to to seem um, a little bit more in the blue or head down or emotional collapse, they'll steal because the chemical reactions that go off in their brain are heightened. Neuroepinephrine goes off, um, cortisol goes off, and it makes them feel alive. And in the flip side, kiddos that are hyperaroused that tend to be a little bit more overly active, when they steal, there's a calming chemical reaction. So this is all physiological stuff. And now I can see it as this is a plan to help my, my kiddo have brain body integration and to reach this state of being able to be independent and yet dependent upon their own, like Ryan was talking about.
0: Guys, I think this has been a great episode. And, uh, certainly there's, uh, you know, as we said before, there's so many facets to self-regulation and, and how it applies to, uh, to ourselves as parents and, and to those supporting parents and and to children and, and all the way around. And, uh, I think that this is likely a topic that will come back up time and time again as as we uh, talk through uh, multiple uh, episodes in, into the future. But uh, for all of our listeners, thank you for uh, for tuning in again and listening to another episode and, uh, or you look like you want to say something.
1: Just breathe. Come the end of the day, the hope behind it all. If you want to start somewhere, just breathe.
2: And uh, Burning Love by Elvis Presley is Eddie Beatsworth.
1: Excellent song. <laughs>
0: Thanks for listening. We'll Bye get to the next time.